Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles again. Open them to Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Acts chapter 4 there in verse 13. In a Bible study that I've entitled, You Can't Stop Speaking the Name of Jesus. A little long, but very important. You can't stop speaking the name of Jesus. And here Peter and John are standing before the religious rulers. Their life is on the line. And notice in verse 13, they say, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, what a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus." This is the final response to the religious rulers of the day. As we've learned, religion is always an enemy of the gospel. And they're not happy that God has done a great thing in someone's life. And now they want to say to Peter and John, don't ever, never, ever speak in the name of Jesus ever again. You know, many times pressure and intimidation and fear and threats come to us as well. I mean, these are actually the tools of our enemy designed to silence us designed to silence you, to keep you inactive, to make you cower in fear, to keep you quiet, to keep you to yourself, never really sharing what God has done in your life, never really giving of yourself to connect with someone else for the purpose of sharing the gospel. So there's fears and threats, things designed to, I mean, I think it's once been said, you know, if the enemy can't destroy you, then he'll try to distract you. And keep your eyes away from that which is important and that which is eternal. Well, threats will do that. I mean, let's be honest. With threats and fear and intimidation, they can have an effect on us. It's not like we're superhuman that we're all, we can take it all, go ahead and send it all. No, they have an effect on us. If they didn't, the enemy wouldn't use them. You know, when you're threatened with it, for example, let's put it down to something that could be very relatable. You may not be threatened with your life, but when you're called into the office and you know your boss is there, your supervisor is there, and HR is there, and there's word that you've been living out your Christian faith at work, you know, there's going to be some concern. What's going to happen in this meeting? How is this going to turn out? What do they have in mind? And so fear and threats and these types of things will easily discourage us. Because you were designed, you were designed as a believer to share your story. I mean, in reality, it's not your story, it's God's story of his work in and through your lives. And like this guy here, they couldn't deny it. It was obvious. Not only could they not deny it, but the whole area was talking about the faithfulness of God. You have a story, 
I have a story, and it was meant to be shared. It's God's story of salvation. Now, some of us have very dramatic stories where God has taken us and delivered us from the deep pit of sin. And in that dramatic story, you know, man, the faithfulness of God is greatly highlighted. But others of you, you might look at your story and go, well, you know, mine is not that dramatic. You know, especially those of you that were raised in the church, raised in a Christian home. You go, well, my, my story is not that dramatic. But, but I would suggest that it is. It's equally dramatic in a different way. So for somebody like me that got saved later in life, totally throwing my life away in sin and debauchery, God delivered me out of sin. And there's some drama to that. But for many of you that were raised in a Christian home, that are being raised in a Christian home, you weren't delivered out of sin. You were delivered from sin. Like God has actually held you back from getting involved in things that would drastically destroy your life. And so your story, I mean, think about it. In this culture right now, as you continue to make a decision to follow God, to dedicate yourself to him, there's a story right there. There is a need for power in the world in which we live to say no, to stay away, to live a holy, pure, and righteous life because of your love for Jesus. And your story should be shared. You shouldn't be fearful, fall to threats, but rather step forward with boldness, as we'll see, and share your story. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 12. Some of my favorite verses when it comes to testimonies, when we have testimony nights, I'll always read this verse, and let me read it to you now. It says, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And then verse 11 is so cool. Listen. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. There is power in the word of your testimony. There is overcoming power when you share what God has done in your life. And I know that there's a part of me, whenever I'm sharing parts of my testimony, like there's a part of me that's kind of discouraged. I wish it never happened. I wish I could have avoided it. But there's a greater part of me just thinking about, wow, how good is God? And I'm listening to the story, and I'm like, man, that's so bad. But then I'm like, oh, man, that's my life. That's my life. This is what God has done in my life. And people will like to argue with you about the Bible. They'll argue about the rapture. They'll argue with you about what version of the Bible. They'll argue with you a lot of different things, but they can't argue with your testimony. You want to know why? You were there. It's your story. It's God's work in your life. So it says in verse 13, you know, when they couldn't say anything, they're seeing the boldness. We looked at these verses in depth last time. They realized that they had been with Jesus when in reality they were with Jesus in that moment. And then verse 14, they saw the man and they couldn't say anything about it. They didn't believe it was the power of God, although I think they did. It just wasn't saving faith. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to change even the evidence was right in front of them. Their hearts didn't get softer with the truth. Their hearts got harder. And this should be a somewhat of an encouragement to you. Those of you that have shared your story, those of you that have shared the gospel, and the response from the person was worse. It was harder. It was more anger. It was more defensiveness. It was more difficulty. And you're like, man, what did I do wrong? No, you didn't do anything wrong. 
It is unfortunately a natural response for a hard heart to get harder, especially when they hear the truth, especially as you're sharing the truth with them. I mean, as lovingly, as tactfully as you did, because we do need to share in love and tact. Of course, hearts will get harder, and it's unfortunate. I mean, when you follow the life of Jesus, you see that not only did their hearts get harder, but their hearts became murderous, so much so that they followed through with an illegal murder of Jesus. It's very plain here. It's very plain that the Sanhedrin, that's the name for this religious group, the religious rulers, the 70 plus one, it's very obvious and plain that the Sanhedrin didn't reject the testimony of Peter and John because they couldn't believe. They rejected because they wouldn't believe. And that's a big difference. It's not that they couldn't. Of course they could. But they chose not to. They wouldn't believe. They're speechless here. The guy's standing right in front of them, and they won't accept it. And it's encouraging because we're surrounded by walking miracles, and... It's discouraging because we're surrounded with people that won't accept it. And they choose not to change. By the way, before we move on to the rest of the text, I, I, I just want to draw your attention to this person, this guy that was healed. This unnamed man who's over in his 40s who was healed. Because I don't want you to forget that Peter and John are in big trouble here. Like their life is on the line. The, 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 these men who just crucified Jesus can also do the same to Peter and John. But you can see they're kind of political and playing the games and maybe not so... You know, I find that those that threaten and those that really move in that realm to try to make you fearful and coward are actually cowards themselves and full of fear themselves, trying to project it on you. And here they are. They're, they're, they're giving all these intimidating threats and things that you'll see... And, and yet, Peter and John stand there in boldness, and so does this man. This man is standing with Peter and John. You have to, to, to order, in order to understand this, you have to step back for a second and go, you don't know how this is going to end. I mean, we do because we have the next page and the next paragraph. He doesn't know how this is going to end. He, he doesn't have the future. All he knows is that Peter and John are there, and he's with them. He chose to stand with them. He chose not to go on and move on and leave Peter and John to answer for all this. He's sticking around with them, clinging to them, if you will. And if you like to write in your Bibles next to verse 14, you may want to just write next to that, real friend. Because he demonstrates what a real friend looks like in times of crisis. He could have avoided this completely. He could have avoided the persecution, the, the scrutiny, but a real friend hangs in there through the good and the bad. That's what a real friend does. And I have learned, as many as you have, that trials really reveal the depth of relationships and friendships. Your personal trial has probably revealed to you the depth of relationships and friendships that were connected to you. And unfortunately, not everything revealed is is really helpful, right? Because many hearts are revealed and not everyone sticks around during difficult times. Where you thought they were friends and you thought they had your back and you thought that their, your relationship was deeper than it seemed and when you went through something and they bailed on you or abandoned you or just kind of moved on with their life, which this guy with the healing could have done, you're like, what happened? 
Well, God revealed that the friendship wasn't what you thought it was. You just got to ask for the Lord to heal you and be the kind of friend, right? Do unto others as you would have them to do under you, Jesus said. Be the kind of friend that you want to have. And you'll be surrounded with people very similar. And he's standing there and he encourages me. He encourages me because there are those that will stand with you and help to bear your burden and stand with you through the tough times. So the Sanhedrin step back and go, what are we going to do? You, you, they're backed into a corner here. There's really nothing they can do. They're backed into a corner because the evidence of God's work is it's, it's readily seen and acknowledged by everyone. And for a group that knows the Bible, they really don't know it. For a group that, that has studied the Bible and you know, religiously are in the Bible all day, every day, they really don't know it because what's happening here is a fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. They, they are plotting against the Lord. Even though they're in a position that say that they're helping people on behalf of God, the people that say they're supposed to help on behalf of God are actually plotting against God. You remember when Saul of Tarsus was headed down to Damascus, his, it, was, it was his conversion experience, and he was knocked off his animal, and there was a voice from heaven, and part of what was said from heaven, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, you can be in a position where you think you're doing something for God, but you're actually against the very God that you say you're serving. That's what he's, they're living out here. And in chapter 5, you can read it for yourself in verse 34, we're introduced to one of the leaders. His name is Gamaliel. He was known as the chief rabbi of the day. He was the man that Saul of Tarsus sat under as a disciple. Gamaliel will later say, look, you got you to gotta let these guys alone because if it's truly a work of God, you can't overthrow it. And here they are already in chapter 4 trying to overthrow the work of God. And, you know, when you're caught up in emotion and you're caught up in frustration and you're caught up by feeling backed in a corner, you know, in your own flesh, you're going to make decisions like this. You're, you're going to go against all logic and reason and make really foolish decisions. So be careful, church. Be careful that the Word of God is not just a knowledge that you have, but it's a life that you live. And so what do they say? This is what they say in verse 18. They called them, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Once their meeting is over, they call Peter and John back in and said, okay, here's our answer. Don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And we, one of the reasons I think this was their specific command is I believe they believed Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Even though they didn't know the verse, they believed that there was no power in no other than the name of Jesus to save a person, to change a person, because they didn't just, to heal a person, because they didn't just see healing, they are literally watching thousands of people be transformed right before their eyes. And there's no explanation for it. The only thing they can see is they're losing power, losing influence, and they want to keep it. So they use threats and intimidations. That's what this is. Don't you dare speak in this name. Well, why are they so concerned? I mean, if it's really not real and, and there's no power behind it and they're really not from God, then just let it go. But they believe. And they're just not willing to say it and submit their lives to Jesus. Well, notice in verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, 
you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. Verse 22. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. I love this. See, they're not backing down. You tell us not to speak in the name of Jesus. That's not going to happen. But they say it in a positive way. Again, tactfulness is such an important tool for us to learn. They say it in a positive way. They don't stir up more problems. They, they don't cop an attitude. They just kind of lay before them a very reasonable answer. And, and they look at them and go, look, you guys want us to listen to you more than to God? That's you. You guys judge what we should do. And what he's saying is, we're going to listen to God. We hear you, but we're going to listen to God. We're going to follow him first. And then they follow that up with another reasonable statement, something along the lines of, well, what do you want us to do? This is our life. What do you want me to do? All we can do is just share what we've seen and heard. What do you want us to do? You want us not to tell people about our lives? You want us not to give the experience that we've had? That can't happen. Because this is our experience, and God wants us, and we're going to listen to God more than to you. So what was the response? Verse 21, they further threatened. Because the enemy of our souls are not, is not going to be happy until he's taken you out. right? The devil has not come except to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he can't destroy you, he'll distract you. And he'll just constantly, just constantly, just constantly come at you until you finally give in or not. And so here they are. They're not backing down. They won't give in. They, they take it in a more positive approach. I, I really believe after coming through the things that we've come through for the last couple of years, this is a very similar approach that we've adopted, a very similar biblical approach. We're not going to make a big deal about things. We're not going to stir up strife. We're not going to pick fights. We're just going to do what God's called us to do. And when something comes, some place of injustice or, or some decision that doesn't make sense or even something that might go against God, we, we are going to follow God. And this is, this is an important principle as you see now what the next step was. It's very important you see the next step. They're being threatened. They're told to be quiet. They're said, don't do this. And it is unjust and it is unfair and it isn't right. So what did they do? Verse 23, being let go. They went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the, Holy, with, with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So what did they do? They gave a reason, logical answer that was tactful. Then they went back to the church, if you will, to their fellow believers, and they had a prayer meeting. That's where real perspective comes in times of prayer. Whereas they're praying, they're like, you know what? You're God. You're all-powerful. You created everything. You know what's happening here. Look at their threats. It's just like you wrote, and they quoted David, which is the Psalms, which is here another reference to the inspiration of scriptures. But you know what they're quoting? What the Sanhedrin should have known, Psalm 2. That's what this is here. It's Psalm 2. It's the first couple verses. And they probably don't acknowledge Psalm 2 because they think, oh, well, that's for someone else. That's for someone else. I mean, how many times do you come to the Bible and something jumps off the page and go, oh, that must be for my wife. I'm going to tell her right away. Oh, this is you. Or that must be for my boss or my friend. I'm going to tweet that out. Hey, go ahead, tweet it, give it away. But guess what? It was probably for you. And the Lord just wants to minister to you. And so here they are. They're praying and they're praying the scriptures. Hey, look at them. Look look what's happening. You see what's happening. It's just like what happened with Jesus. All the injustice and all the unfairness. But with Jesus, what did he say? As they're praying, what did they say in verse 28? This was all your hand. This is all predetermined. This is is what you have allowed. This is where you are, God. We're under your authority. We trust you. And then... They asked, just look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness they may speak your word. And I love that approach. With things that are unfair and just, all this heaviness is coming in life. What do they do? They go to, to the Lord in prayer and they pray a specific way. They say, you know what, God? There's a lot of things outside of our control. You take care of those. Look at their threats. I mean, what are they going to do? They can't do anything about it. These guys are in power. God has allowed them to be in power. They can make whatever decisions they want. They've been known to make bad decisions. There they are. And here's Peter and John. They love Jesus. They just want to worship him. They just want to see people get healed. And they're standing there with their life on the line. They come back and the church says, you know what? There's a lot of that stuff in the world today. God, you just look on their threats. You do what you can do and then give us the strength to do what we can do. And it's that phrase that we've been using for a couple years now, right? We've just got to allow the world to be the world, but only we can be the church. Only you can be the church. And I wonder if you've been sidetracked. I wonder if you've been distracted. I, I, <clears throat> I wonder if you've just lost perspective because you've dabbled into the areas that belong to God and, and totally left the things that belong to you. You got caught up in some narrative, some opinion, some philosophy, and you walked away from the gospel. This is a temptation. They could have come back and go, let's fight for this. And let's create it. Let's go against them. And then, you know, that, no, Lord, you look at their threats. Give us the boldness to love your people. Because we just want to keep seeing people saved. We want to see signs and wonders. We want the word of God to go forth. We want you to do what you can do so that you empower us to do what we're supposed to do. So two things happen here. Two things. Number one. When they're faced with difficult things, the first thing they did is they went back to fellowship. What we would say today, they went to church. This is a perspective-building time for everyone. To have the mind of Christ, to be reminded, not only in a broad sense, but in a very personal sense, what God wants to do in your life. Don't run away when there are problems. Run to the Lord. 
Don't run away and isolate yourself. Gather together with other believers and pray. And pray out loud. Pray with each other. Pray for each other. But pray through the word. And remember the sovereignty of God. Like when you pray, like, Lord, I know you're in control. That's really, when you say that out of your mouth, or you hear somebody in your prayer circle say that, it really challenges you. Do you really believe it? Because you can say it, but do you believe it? Because for the believer, listen, we live out every day, whether we agree or not, that all things work together for the good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's the banner scripture over our lives. If, God, if we really believe in God, and we do, and we trust him with our lives, and we do, then we know that all things are working together for good for those that love God and those that are called according. Yeah, all things. Not some things, not a few things, not just those things, but all things. And this prayer would be a great encouragement. Because secondly, when they come together, the second thing they did in a time of injustice is they began to seek the Lord together, encourage one another. They didn't run away. They didn't freak out. They just came together and said, God, you take care of your part. We want to take care of our part. Just like Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel was told very specifically, don't pray. So what did he do? He called all his friends together. I can't believe it. They told me I can't pray. I don't know. What are we going to do? Well, you go there. You go there. You go. You guys read your Bible. You're like, Ed, you're crazy. He didn't do that. I know. You know what he did? He was told not to pray, and he prayed. Oh, yeah, he did one more thing. He opened his windows so they could be a testimony to pray. And I believe that's God's call and will for our lives. That's what his calling is. Yeah, so maybe you're told not to do it. Just don't make a big deal about it. Just do what believers do. Open up your windows and pray. And be ready. You got to understand, you got to be ready for the consequences of being a believer. Because Daniel is told not to pray in Daniel chapter 6. He opens up his windows, he prays, and you know what the reward was? Well, he went on to live happily ever after. You know that, right? No problem. Oh, everybody prayed. Oh, the room got full. It's a big prayer meeting. The whole world got saved. Thank you, Daniel. That prayer was what preceded Daniel being what? Thrown into the lion's den. See, it's a lot easier to fight and yell and scream and make a big deal about things instead of you should be just praying. That's what you, you just pray. Well, they told me I couldn't pray. Okay, are you going to listen to God or man? Well, I'm going to listen to God. Then pray. No, you don't understand. They told me not to pray. And that becomes your whole identity. When your identity is a follower of Christ, so just pray. Yeah, but you don't know what they're going to do. They're going to throw me into the lion's den. Probably not. And if you saw the lion at the Denver Zoo, don't worry about it, man. He's fine. (laughs) You don't even know if he's alive or not. He just lays there. But, you know, whatever whatever doing what's right gets you into, God will be there with you. What's the worst that can happen? You'll be in the presence of the Lord, doing what you need to be doing. I mean, the church, it's just one of those things God is calling us like, this is where they're at. Just pray. Don't pick a fight. Don't stir things up. Just pray. I like what Pastor Chuck Smith writes. I want to quote him here. He says, We cannot read our life's plot from one event or episode. We can't say whether an event is working to help us accomplish our goal or it's threatening to sabotage it. But we can know this. If we're surrendered to God, all things work together for our good. 
No single moment in our life stands in isolation from all the other moments. What doesn't make sense today is explained tomorrow. And what we painfully learned this year is an education we'll appreciate next year. And everything is preparation for something else. End quote. And I just think, I just don't want to waste in my life all these lessons that God has for me. I don't want to keep repeating them over and over and over again like God's saying, are you going to get it, Ed? Are you going to get it? And goes, yes, Lord, I want to get it. He says, well, you can't res- keep responding the same way, the same wrong way, every single time, Ed. There's got to be a change. And where do I get the change, Lord? You just follow carefully how I teach you in the Word. And when there's injustice and unfairness and all, then just get together and pray and I'll give you direction. I'll empower you. I'll shake the room literally. I'll fill you. Notice what it said. Not only did the room shake, but they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't another Pentecost. Pentecost has already happened, happened once. But it is a reminder. Like they just came to that place where they needed a reminder that God was still with them. They're not too far from Pentecost. And they're thinking, well, you know, God was with us back then. No, I'm with you right now. And they had a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've learned that we kind of think of filling of the Holy Spirit because the word fill in the English has a spatial work to it, you know, kind of half empty, half fully full and overflowing. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we go back to Ephesians where the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this isn't just a spatial statement. It's actually under the control of. And what they needed at this time in answer to their prayer was to have a fresh control of the Holy Spirit in their life. Because we already know Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was at Pentecost. We already know he was filled again because when he was standing there, the Bible says in chapter 4, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now it's happening again because there's that ongoing need in our lives to be under the submission and control of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You you and I, we're not going to make it without the Spirit. They come together, they're in unity, just like in Psalm 133. God is saying, when you come together looking to me, I'll bring unity. I'll bring it. I will help you drop all of the things that divide you, and you'll be one in me. Because division always hinders our prayers. God wants to take division away and bring back unity. And then he says, notice in verse 32, there's even greater unity. It says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That's that's a great description of unity. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now this is again, this is like, yes, Lord, this is awesome. And if you're not careful, you're going to read this, and they lived happily ever after, once again. And they're never going to have any problems anymore. And they're only going to have, but you'll see in just a moment, great problems actually come in the church. You know, the enemy's trying to get at the church from outside. When he can't get the church from outside persecution, you know what the devil likes to do? He joins the church, and he starts to work from within with deception and destructive teachings and all sorts of things. Well, he's going to do that in chapter 5. You can read ahead. But at this point, there's great power. And you just want to, when, when God is doing a great work, you just want to enjoy it while you have it. You just want to enjoy it and go forward. When there's unity, we say, yes. 
You know, if you're one of those people that like waiting for the next foot to drop, you know, waiting for the, okay, well, it hasn't dropped yet, so enjoy where you're at right now. Enjoy the unity. Enjoy the strength. Celebrate it. Walk forward. Go forward in boldness. And then he says in verse 34, there was no, nor was there anyone among them who lacked all they had possessions of lands and houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. They laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as everyone had need. It was a great heart, great desire, but it didn't work. And here everybody had what they had and they sold it all and they gave it to the church and then the church distributed it, but it didn't work. It wasn't God's will. It was just them, I believe, emotionally responding. It was a great time, but we find that that's not normative. We're not asking you, sell everything you have and bring it to the church. That's not God's will. You, you see God's heart for us unfolded throughout the book of Acts. But I have to say, I commend them for trying it. You know, I commend them for taking a step of faith. Uh, I was reading this week, uh, someone said that if you don't take a risk, then you already have the answer. And I thought that was so good. If you don't take a risk, you already know what's going to happen, exactly what's happening right now. And then I, you take that into the spiritual realm and you can put it this way. If you don't step out in faith, you already have your answer. This is what it's going to be. This is where you're at. God is taking us from victory to victory, from, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And he's always leading us to take this step of faith. So, so I love this. This was a giant step and a step motivated out of love. It just didn't work. And so even so, when you take steps of faith and they don't work, don't beat yourself up over it. Just get up and move forward. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And isn't it better to make mistakes seeking to please the Lord than it is to make sinful mistakes disobeying the Lord? So just step forward in faith and let God use you. And so it says, and we see this is also going to get the church in trouble to some degree because in verse 36, we're introduced to this man named Joseph, who is also named Barnabas. He's much, much more known by his nickname, Barnabas, which is translated the son of encouragement. He was a Levite in the country of Cyprus. He had land, he sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that's going to become a problem for two other people. And you can read ahead in Acts 5 because Ananias and Sapphira are motivated by this and great difficulty enters the church just through two people. Thousands of people are saved, but two people can really mess things up. And it's sad. But yet God still gets the victory, and he still stirs up love and good works among the church. And when we're faced with these difficulties and threats, we just need to remember, we can't stop speaking in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power when you say his name. There is power when you live out his life as he abides in you and you abide in him. Amen? Father, we're grateful for this section of scripture to encourage us, to overwhelm us with a sense of your presence. And as we anticipate all that you want to accomplish, we yield ourselves to you in a fresh way. And I just pray there's a lot of injustice and unfairness in our room today. It's very hard and challenging. And I just pray, God, that you would grant your brother, your sons, your daughters boldness and great grace and power to face what they're facing. We'll, we'll commit, Lord, you hear the threats, you see the stuff, you know. We commit that to you so that we can be faithful to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. 
for prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.